Ma Coco? Aye. For Maui, it's a new beginning. With honor and deep respect, we're moving forward. We're ready to get people back to work. We all have to do our part, and we'll make this happen. Working together. We are ready to work. Ready to serve. All ready. 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 We are ready. For more information, visit makokomoe.com. with the other side of paradise. It's a heartbreaking case. The government alleges six-year-old Isabella Ariel Kalua was abused and killed by her adoptive parents, Isaac and Lehua Kalua. The couple are now charged with murder and endangering the welfare of a minor. Prosecuting attorney Steve Alm says he will seek the enhanced sentence of life without parole if the Kaluas are found guilty. But many horrifying child murder cases in Hawaii never get to trial in state court. Defense attorney and former deputy prosecutor Megan Cow explains. It's rare because of two things. Number one, a jury has to find beyond a reasonable doubt that the extended term sentence of life without the possibility of parole is warranted in order to protect the community. And so the jury needs to find beyond a reasonable doubt that that sentence needs to be imposed. The second reason is as the case proceeds, as all criminal cases proceed, things happen. Defendants come up with witnesses or theories or evidence to show that they might not be liable. And therefore, in the interest of justice, the government offers a plea agreement, which is what happened in, the, in some of the prior cases. The government offers a plea agreement for the defendant to plead guilty to manslaughter, which is punishable by up to a maximum of 20 years in prison instead of life in prison. That happened in several high-profile cases. Peter Boy Kemma, the six-year-old Hilo boy who disappeared in 1997. I was there when his parents, Peter Kemma Sr. and Jalen Kemma, were arrested in 2015. They were later indicted for his murder. In 2017, his father was sentenced to 20 years. Mother Jalen was sentenced to 10 years, but was released after serving just one. Many in the community criticized the punishment, but part of the plea deal meant the Kemas had to detail how the boy died and show police and prosecutors the rocky point in Puna where his remains were thrown into the ocean 20 years earlier. It was closure for those who loved the boy, his grandfather, and siblings. Does it make a difference that if the body is not found. I mean, it always seems just so much more difficult. It's always difficult to prove beyond a reasonable doubt murder when there is no body. Because the jury needs to be able to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that this person is dead, that the defendant intentionally and knowingly caused the death of this person. Even with a body, a conviction and extended sentence are not a guarantee. Shailen Lehano-Stone was nine years old when she was starved to death in 2016. Her parents, Tiffany Stone 
and Kevin Lejano were sentenced to 10 years probation. Both were originally charged with murder but pleaded no contest to manslaughter. The girl's grandmother and legal guardian, Henrietta Stone, is the only one wanting to go to trial. Megan Cow says in some cases, lower sentences to get defendants to turn may be necessary for prosecutors. In Isabella Ariel Kalua's case, the main witness is her 12-year-old sister, who was also abused allegedly by the Kaluas. It seems that as long as that child is credible, a jury could find beyond a reasonable doubt that they intentionally and knowingly not only killed this, the victim, but then tried to hide it after. Relying on a child as a sole witness for a murder case is always going to be very difficult because you have the right to cross-examination. What that means is the defense counsel is going to get up there and the defense counsel's job is to try to show this jury that this kid is not credible, that she cannot be believed. Either her perception was mistaken or her memory is faulty, or she just plain doesn't understand what happened and is misinterpreting the acts. And so, you know, anytime you have a child on a stand and, a, and an adult cross-examining that child, it's going to be difficult. That child's going to need to be able to stand up to cross-examination. Do you think that the prosecution is is going to have an uphill battle. Murder trials in general are difficult to prove, especially when you don't have a body. And so the fact that the sole or significant witness is a child, 12 years old, is gonna be very difficult for the government, yes. Preparing the child for testimony, given the fact that this child has had such a rough upbringing, has been abused herself, you know, it triggers a lot of feelings and it's very difficult for adults to testify, let alone children. So the government will have an uphill battle, but, you know, the deputy that's assigned to the case is experienced. She's extremely good at her job. She deals a lot with children. And so it looks like they've got, you know, a, a game plan and they're going to proceed forward. The deputy prosecutor she's talking about is Tiffany Kael, who has been with the Honolulu Prosecutor's Office for more than a decade. Are those reasons why many of these do end up in plea deals? I mean, it just becomes so difficult to put someone on the witness stand who, who's going to have a hard time or who just doesn't want to do it. And then for the defense facing life without parole, is that why they just see a plea deal as often the best alternative for both sides? It's kind of a two-way street. For the government, the government has to be able to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. And when it realizes or if it realizes there are problems with its case, especially if the minor witness doesn't want to testify or she's so scared to go in front of you know, her foster mom and dad, she'll be sitting in court 20 feet away from these people who abused her and who put her through this. And she'll have to testify right in front of them while they stare directly at her. You know, for adults, that's scary. For a 12-year-old child, it's even, it's, it's excruciating. And so the government is going to have to decide whether or not it can proceed. But again, you know, the deputy assigned to the case has a, a experience with children and she'll be able to prepare the witness for testimony on the flip side the defendants are looking at life without the possibility of parole 
And so if they can get the possibility of parole, they're going to be looking to enter into a plea agreement where the government says, okay, well, after a certain amount of years, you might be able to be paroled, depending on what the paroling authority says. So it's a two-way street for both parties. Everyone's looking out for their best interest. The government is looking out for the best interest of their witnesses, especially the minor child. And the defense attorneys are going to be looking out for the best interests of the two defendants, especially if they're looking at life without the possibility of parole. Does the overwhelming amount of publicity have have an effect here when you're talking about a jury? Does it benefit the prosecution because people are outraged at what happened to her and, and the idea that they reported her missing, even though you know, the government says they had killed her already and, and disposed of evidence. You know, is that publicity going to be a huge factor in helping the prosecution here? Publicity is always a factor to consider when you're trying a case. But by the time cases are tried, it's usually three, four, even five years after the initial incident. And so jurors' memories have faded. We go through a special process during jury selection to weed out the people that have that automatically believe that the defendants are guilty. We all have the constitutional right to be presumed innocent unless and until the government proves that we're guilty. And therefore, we go through this jury selection in order to choose people that are going to be non-biased, that are going to be able to decide the guilt or innocence of the people based on solely the evidence that's presented in court. The trial has been set for January 31st, but that won't happen then, especially with the court backlog from COVID closures. We're very backed up, very backed up because of COVID. I have 18 murder and sex one trials that still have to go in front of this Kahlua case. You know, this case was just charged and we're looking at 2022 already for the cases that I had pending from 2019. And so if you look at that backlog, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to get a trial for another three, four, maybe five years. Okay, so that's another factor since they're being held without bail. So do you think that that will prompt them to want to move forward with a deal sooner? Yeah, well, what I will say is if it comes to a point where they're being held so long and they've exercised their right to a speedy trial but they can't get a trial because of the COVID backlog, the judge is gonna have to determine whether to set bail and allow these people the chance to bail out. They're presumed innocent unless and until the government proves that they're guilty. It's very possible that the court could set a bail amount or they can enter into a plea agreement because they've been sitting in jail for so long. Right, and they do get credit should they be found guilty at a jury trial. They do get credit for the time they spent. But it is much harder to mount your defense, wouldn't you say, while they're behind bars? Yeah, of course, you're always going to get credit for the time that you're serving before your trial starts. But it is very difficult to work up a case with your defense attorney sitting from a jail cell. You don't have access to the evidence. It's very difficult to review digital evidence in jail because the inmates don't have access to computers. And nowadays, a lot of stuff are are handed over digitally instead of hard copy because it's more efficient, more effective and less costly. So it's difficult to find witnesses. It's difficult to to maintain evidence, to review evidence. And 
you know, because of COVID procedures, it's difficult for defense attorneys to go into jails now. You either have to make an appointment or there's lockdowns. I mean, sometimes defense attorneys go to the prison and they're told that it's, it's locked down for no apparent reason. And so, you know, you would have scheduled two or three hours of prep time and now you've lost that. So there's so many factors to consider when deciding whether or not to accept the plea deal on behalf of a defendant. There is one child murder case recently that resulted in a life sentence, but it was a federal case. Naeem Williams was convicted of beating to death his five-year-old daughter, Talia Williams. She was tortured, beaten daily, duct taped, and tied to furniture. She was whipped and starved. Naeem Williams, an army soldier, faced the death penalty, a rare occurrence in Hawaii, because the abuse and murder happened on base. There is no parole in the federal system. The Kahlua's criminal case is just beginning and could take years before it gets to a jury. Years before we know what happened to Isabella Ariel. For episode 14 of The Other Side of Paradise, I'm Lynn Kawano. Mahalo for listening.